Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. It is a sincere pleasure to come to you today discussing the Word of God, discussing the Word that Jesus has put on my spirit. Lord, oh, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you this day. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Lord, we have ears to hear. We have hearts to receive what the Holy Spirit has to say. We are God's children. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are delivered. We are victorious. And we thank you for the victory in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Join me in our confession of faith. Hallelujah, commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed, laying the solid foundation upon which we can build. Glory to God. No other foundation. You don't try and build a house and every day tear everything down and lay a new foundation. Once that foundation is in place and it's perfect, you never dig it up. You just build upon it. Amen. And that's why I use the Apostles' Creed as the foundation for which everything we teach is built upon. Amen. Repeat these words after me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven where he sits now 
at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Jesus. That's a blessing right there. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you know, last time we studied the question, is Jesus both your Lord and your Savior? And we're going to continue with that study today about making Jesus your Lord and not just your Savior. You know, I showed you last time in Scripture that there is a difference, a very big difference between the two. Too many people think that it's one and the same thing, but that could not be farther from the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth you know will make you free. Well, we're going to go over some truths about that today. There is a foundational facet of, well, actually, this is the foundational facet of all facets of a saving faith. If we do not receive Jesus as our Lord, nothing else we do, nothing else that we can do in the Christian faith will have any value for us. We'll be building on the false foundation, which I might add is very popular in Christian churches today. You see, over and over again, we hear pastors and others exhorting people to accept Jesus as their Savior. And that's important. Yes, it is important. Amen. But, but, the only reason they do that this is hard for me to say. It's the truth, but it's, it's going to pierce some people's hearts. And I'll be stepping on some spiritual toes, but I'm going to say this in advance. I'm doing it in love. Okay? This is not condemnation. It's just to point out to those that have ears to hear and hearts to receive. A minor correction. Well, that's not minor. Thank you, Lord. It's a major correction in biblical teaching going on today. You see, we hear pastors and others exhort people to accept Jesus as your Savior. And they do this so they can have eternal life. You ask them, why do you say that? It's so they can, the people can have eternal life. And that is a fundamental thing to do. That's important. It's an exhortation, though, that's very unbiblical. We studied this last time. We're going to study it more today. There are no scriptures that tell us just to accept or receive or believe in Jesus as our Savior. 
and leave it at that. None. But we have many scriptures that tell us we must receive Jesus as our Lord if we want to be saved. So it is a prerequisite to receiving Jesus as your Savior that first you must accept him as Lord. Jesus himself made this a salvation, uh, salvation issue when he said in John 8, 24, If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who did Jesus claim to be? Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 13, You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am, or who I am. Can you have salvation if you die in your sins? No, of course not. Jesus died on that cross so that our sins could be forgiven, and that we could be reconciled to God the Father. If we could be saved and still die in our sins, that means, really, Jesus the Lord died for nothing. Remember what Peter told the crowd at Pentecost in Acts 2, 21? Remember what he told them about what they needed to do to be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, who is the Lord? Is it the one God of the Old Testament? Excuse me. Paul explained that for New Testament believers uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Oh, praise God. We could spend the whole next hour just on that one verse. Amen? All things came, we're still looking at this verse, all things came from God, and for whom we live. All things came through Christ Jesus, our Lord, with whom we live. Glory to God. You see, only Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul Paul also told us how to be saved. He says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, this scripture is used very frequently. I use it also. And leading people to salvation. But listen to the scripture. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Savior. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. 
Do you see the order of things? First, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe it in your heart. Then you are saved. Paul told the Philippian jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's in Acts 16.31, I believe. Paul taught, Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Savior. No, it says Jesus Christ our Lord. Go read it for yourself, Romans 5.21. I'm sorry, yeah, Romans 5.21. In Romans 6.23 it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, what? Our Lord. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord, Jesus Christ. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Tongue twister there. What did Jesus say about his lordship? Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. In other words, he's the one that's in charge. Amen. Uh, when I was in the military, if you seen an officer that you did not recognize strutting about the area, possibly going into a secure area, your responsibility was to challenge him. What are you doing in this area, sir? You, know, you salute him, you render all proper courtesies, but you're challenging his authority to be there. Now, if there is a change of command ceremony that takes place and the squadron or the battalion commander takes the guide on, the representation signal flag for that unit, takes it from your old commander, turns and gives it to the new commander. Now when you see him walking around the area, you recognize him and you know he has the authority to be there. Amen? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Oh, glory to God. In war, it's a big deal if a commanding general's command post, if an enemy commander, is captured. The unit colors are captured. His flag with the... General stars on it are captured. It now belongs to the enemy. Amen. Signifying they have conquered this opposing force. Jesus defeated the devil down in the pit of hell. The devil and his entire cohort with him. 
Jesus defeated them. When he was raised from the dead and ascended up into heaven, he gave all this authority that the devil had taken from man, from Adam at the fall, and gave it back to God. God gave it back to him. That's why he didn't say, all authority in heaven and earth I have taken. No, he took it from the devil, presented it to the Father with the sacrifice of his blood, pouring out his blood, his offering for the sin of the world. And God the Father, right here we can see in Matthew 28, verse 18, God the Father honored that and then turned and gave Jesus all authority in heaven and in earth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said the extent of his lordship is all authority in heaven and in earth. Peter told the Jews in Acts 2.36, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I want to stop right there for a minute. Let's talk about that word Christ. I know you know, from us teaching on it before as well as others, Christ is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. Also designated as the Savior of Israel. That's the one they're waiting to come and defeat the enemy and reestablish Israel's prominence. He's the Messiah, the Savior. We've read several scriptures that talk about Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, and all that is saying, just as uh, the Apostle Peter said here, God has made this Jesus. So that means there's more than one. Yes, there's more than one Jesus. There are people today, especially from the Hispanic uh, and Latin countries, named Jesus. In Hebrew is Yeshua. We get Joseph from it. There's more than one Jesus. Peter says, this Jesus, the one you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Lord means master. Master and Messiah. This rang in their ears. Amen. Paul described the lordship of Jesus to the churches in his letters. To the Philippians he wrote in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave to him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
all for the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess Jesus the Messiah is their master. All to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue, every knee, even Satan, even all his cohort, even the most adamant atheist on this planet, those who are the absolute worst sinners that deny being under the authority of anybody or anyone or anything, even they will bow their knee and their tongue will confess that Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. If they got to be held by the nap of the neck and forced to the ground by an angel, they will bow their knee and they will confess. That will not save them. Nope. That does not save them. Unless they come to the point that they do that in this life. For it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Just as if you were a hardened criminal, been on the run for years and got captured, you're taken before the judge. You bow your knee and beg for mercy. That's what they'll do, but it's too late. The crime has been committed. There is only one sin you can never receive forgiveness for. Just one. That sin is rejecting Jesus' lordship. Amen. That's the only sin that you can be convicted of. Now in that light... We've been studying that some people have made Jesus their Savior, but not their Lord. How does that work? We're going to get into that. Paul wrote the Colossians in uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 18. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Visible things and invisible things, whether they're thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Amen. When we read Jesus is Lord, we should recall that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth, and that God has exalted him to the highest place. The highest place, which is on God's throne, sitting right next to him at his right hand. Nobody else. Nobody, no creation, no creature, no devil, no demon. Nobody else 
can get that close to God except a believer. For Jesus says, you will sit with me on my throne. Now, where's his throne? Exactly at the highest place next to God the Father. Hallelujah. Remember, he has the name that is above every name. That all things were created by him and for him. That he is before all things and that in him all things hold together. He's the head of the church. And everything he has, he has supremacy over. There's nobody higher than Jesus. For he has been made by the Father to be Lord over all. Hallelujah, Acts 10.36. Jesus not only has the supremacy in all things, Jesus is God. Hallelujah. We know this from the confession of Thomas in the upper room. Remember where the disciples been hiding out? When he finally saw Jesus, Thomas fell at his knees before the Lord and just proclaimed, My Lord! which he's saying, my master and my God. What did Jesus do? Thomas, don't call me God. What are you doing calling me? I'm not God. I may be your Lord, but I'm not God. No, he didn't say that. Jesus accepted his worship. He accepted the proclamation. For he is Lord. And he is God. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? He said, good master. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Do you recognize me as God? That's what he was asking. Jesus accepted the designation as Lord from Thomas and he accepted the acclamation that he is God. Glory to God. Can you see that? I see it. I'm, I'm hoping I'm communicating it where you can see it. Though the emphasis we have is frequently on Jesus as Savior in many churches, and he is, it's not true of Scripture. We've erred by focusing solely on the salvation aspect. Salvation's needful. Don't get me wrong. But it does not preclude Jesus as being Lord. You have to recognize Jesus as Lord before you can accept his salvation. Lord, give me the words. Let's say your father is a very rich person. And once you're old enough, 18, 20, whatever, you want to go off and you want to make it on your own. You did not want people to know you as the son of your father. You wanted to make a name for yourself. And you failed miserably. You're in debt, living on the out of your car or whatever, basically homeless. And you know your father 
can save you. He can give you everything you need. And if you just send a messenger and say, tell the messenger, ask my father for $100,000 or whatever so I can stop living out of my car and start this business again. You go to the messenger. Father doesn't know the messenger. He hears this story about you but wonders why you won't come to him. Why do you have to send an intermediary? It's very, it's probably a 50-50 toss whether or not he gives any money to the messenger to take to you. But if you, in your dire straits, go back to your father and in your father's presence apologize for all that you've done and ask him, will you please help me to get right? To get right with you and to make something of my life. There's a real good chance the father will do it. Now, if we can do that in the natural, why can't we do that spiritual? The Father's there. He wants to help. He loves us. And He provided the payment for every debt you have. He has enough to make sure that you can go debt-free and be blessed and successful in life. But there's one thing you need, and that's to approach him knowing he has done it. That's making him Lord. That's a a weak example, but it's the one that was on my, my lips right now. Amen. Many, many churches today, especially Western churches and American churches, are weak in this area. Very few likely know that two-thirds of the New Testament books do not even mention Jesus as Savior. What? Brother Bob, really? That's right. Eighteen of the New Testament books do not use the title Savior. Eighteen of the New Testament books. They do not use the word Savior with Jesus, like Jesus our Savior, things like that. As a matter of fact, two of the Gospels do not call Jesus a Savior. It's even more amazing to note the frequency of the use of the title Lord when it refers to Jesus compared with the usage of other titles. For example, Jesus is referred to as Lord 618 times. But he's only referred to 15 times as Savior. He's referred to as Christ, that's the Messiah, 543 times. 
which titles do you think God considers more important? Which titles do you think God is emphasizing? Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah. Amen? Fifteen times only as Savior. If you total that up, that's what, 11, uh, 61... 11, 7, 1,176 times a title is applied to Jesus. And only 15 times of that is he referred to as your Savior. The title Christ, again, refers to the Messiah, the Anointed One. That's meant to appeal to the Jews. He's the one who's the object of, of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. Paul connected all the dots for us when he said Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, what? Our Lord, Romans 1.4. The angel who announced the birth of Christ said, a Savior has been born to you. See, there's Savior, Brother Bob. Jesus is called Savior right there. Complete the sentence, fool. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, or what? He is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke 2.11. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He is also our Savior, Christ, the Messiah. And He is our Lord. There are only two instances in the New Testament Scripture that speak of, of people receiving Jesus. How can I explain this? Jesus said, <clears throat> I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens to me, I will come in and sup with them. If someone knocks on your door and you ask them to come in, you have received them into your home. Amen. If you go to your congressman's office or senator's office or even the president's office and ask to see the president or whatever. And they agree to it. They open the door and you are received by them. This is the same thing. Two scriptures... And all the New Testament that talk of people receiving Jesus. The first is in John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What was the first step? They had to receive him. Now, this scripture does not overtly help us as we try to understand the concept of Jesus as Lord and Savior because it does not 
specify Jesus's capacity in these areas, but it's one of two scriptures that mentions people receiving Jesus. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul told us how believers receive Jesus. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Oh, that's a good scripture there, Colossians 2.6. Just as you received Christ, just as you received the Messiah, just as you received Jesus as your Savior, as Lord, continue to live in him. Peter wrote, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. 1 Peter 3.15. That simple statement says it all. That's everything we're talking about here today. How are you to think of Jesus as your Lord? Yes, he is your Savior. I'm not rejecting that. I'm trying to explain to you that you must first receive him as Lord. Then he gives you the right to become the children of God by being your Savior. But you have to acknowledge him as Lord first. That was the object of their teaching. Paul tells us, we do not preach about ourselves. We preach about Christ Jesus as Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul's statement is very important because today many churches claim to be New Testament churches, to be like the early churches of the first century Christendom. If they truly are like those churches, then they will preach Jesus Christ as Lord, not just as your Savior. Because it's at this very point that much of the church is being deceived. And because they're deceived in this area, they're deceiving other people. They are deceived churches. Deceived bodies of believers. They're deceived into not accepting the complete power and the authority that goes with being a Christian. Rather than preaching Jesus Christ as Lord, they preach Jesus as your Savior, which he is, but you cannot have him as your Savior unless you submit to him as Lord. In doing so, they offer a false salvation, non-biblical, man-made, a version that will not save you. You're deceived into believing you're saved. Brother Bob, I asked Jesus to be my Savior, and he did. Good. But what was the first thing you had to do? Well, I prayed that prayer of salvation that the pastor led me in. You know, Romans chapter 10. Very good. We started with that. Romans chapter 10. Let me turn back over there. Glory to God. I'll pray it with you again. Romans 10, verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth. Did he have you repeat the prayer? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. What did he have you say? The scripture says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
That means you confess he has lordship over you. And you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? Oh, yes, I did. Then you shall be saved. See, I prayed it and I was saved. Did you confess Jesus as Lord? Well, I said whatever he told me to say. I guess that's in there. So in other words, in your heart, you did not understand what confessing Jesus as Lord really meant. Therefore, you have a deception going on, and if you're deceived, you're not saved. I know I'm stepping on spiritual toes. Daggers are going into people's hearts right now. But folks, it's time you stop playing church. Too many pastors, too many churches are playing church today in the last days that we're living in and the devil's sitting back laughing at them. I can prove it. You heard me say this before. Glory to God, I'll say it to my dying breath. When is the last time a manifestation of the power of God hit your church service where people fell out under the Spirit or people got healed, blind eyes opened, deaf ears opened, limbs miraculously growing back. When's the last time God manifested His presence in your church service? If you can't answer that, there is a very good possibility you are in a deceived church. Oh, I know I stepped out. I dropped a brick on toes that time. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Glory to God. It's... We are past the time when people are should be finished playing church. Oh, glory to God. Play time's over. It's time to get to work. When churches deceive their people, when pastors stand up and preach this grace message, yes, we are in the age of grace. Yes, we are under grace. Grace means you do not receive. Well, that's mercy. Mercy means you do not receive the punishment you deserve. Grace means you receive something by grace. You didn't earn it. You just received it. Yes, we are under grace right now. We are in the grace age, but this grace age is now coming to an end. It's kind of like a, a horse race where they're coming around the final turn and headed for the stretch. What they call it? The home stretch. When the finish line is crossed, race is over. That's where we're at. It's coming down to a photo finish. And when the last trump sounds there'll be a very clear uh, you know you know how they have the photo finish if you're not across that line you're left behind oh don't shut me down when i'm preaching good <sighs> glory to god thank you jesus rather than preaching jesus Christ as Lord. These deceived preachers and churches 
are preaching Jesus as Savior. The whole focus is on him as your Savior. And in doing so, they are offering a false salvation, a non-biblical, man-made version that does not save. When you obey Peter's injunction, set apart Christ as Lord, our thoughts are towards him as our master and we as his servants. Now, I know that may offend many people today, that term master and servant, but get over it. I don't say that to be mean or insensitive, but you have to get past the terminology. Jesus is your master. And if he's your master, that means you are his servant. That's what Lord means. And if you refuse to accept that fact, that means you only have Jesus as your Savior, not your Lord, which goes against what the biblical principles tell us you have to have. It means you're trying to be your own Lord. And if you're trying to be your own Lord, it means you are deceived. And you're deceived enough that you can lose that thin thread of salvation you might be trying to hang on to. If you're truly saved to begin with. Brother Bob, you know, you're speaking some hard things here. I mean, you're going against doctrine. You're going against teachings in the churches. You're going against what seminaries have been teaching and stuff. I don't care. Twelve disciples, I should say eleven, and then the twelfth one was elected. But those twelve disciples turned the known world upside down, the Bible says. And there were many, many scholars of the Jewish customs. Scholars. Remember, the New Testament wasn't written. They were writing it as they went. So every reference, when they say the scriptures say, every one of those references is to the Old Testament. And they're correcting scholars who are teaching in the universities. They're understanding of the scriptures given to them by the Holy Spirit is bringing correction to these scholars who've studied it for years. Professors of the law. And it didn't matter if a fisherman stood up and rebuked these scholars because he could interpret the scripture the way the Holy Spirit led him. So yes, I may be stepping on some toes. Yes, I may be going against doctrine in 95% of the churches today. Yes, I may be going against 95% of what's being taught in seminaries today. But you cannot just receive Jesus as your Savior. He has to be your Lord first. Oh, glory to God. I know this sounds harsh, but Jesus died in your place. Jesus suffered and died the death you deserved. And it wasn't pleasant. But he did it for you. And all he asks 
is that you trust him enough to know he's not like an earthly taskmaster. Amen? Paul comforted and assured those believers who were in a time of suffering and persecution because they lifted Jesus up to be their Lord. And if Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. We use that a lot to talk about money. You know, you either love one, hate the other, cling to one, you cannot serve God and mammon, okay. But get off the money aspect. What did Jesus say first? You cannot serve two masters. In this instance, they took the word Lord and made it into what it's supposed to mean. Master. You cannot serve two lords. You'll either love the one and hate the other, cling to one and forsake the other. You cannot have two lords. You cannot serve both God and money. If Jesus is not your master... You cannot have him as your savior. I know that blows people's minds, but that's just the way it is. He must be your Lord first. Paul in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39 said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that is in the Messiah Jesus, our Lord. When Paul was leaving the Ephesian elders for the last time, he summarized to them his ministry and all of his teachings. In Acts 20, verse 21, he says, I have declared both to Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith, not in the salvation of Jesus, but in the Lord Jesus. Now, if you combine Paul's statement with his famous statement to the Ephesians about grace, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith in our Lord Jesus, and this is not of yourselves, for it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen? That is a perfectly acceptable rendering, because Paul himself told us, that he taught the Ephesians to have faith in our Lord Jesus. As we've seen, there's hundreds of instances I could go through in which the title Lord is given to Jesus. I'm just going to mention a few more that show Jesus was preached and taught as lords among the Gentiles. When the proconsul saw what had happened in Acts 13:12, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and Barnabas spoke the word of the Lord to the Philippian jailer and to all the others in his house, Acts 16.32. In Antioch, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, 
Acts 13.44. The Gentiles were glad and honored the word of the Lord. Acts 13.48. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 13.49. Notice it's not the word of salvation spread through the whole region. Notice it's not they heard and honored the word of salvation. No, they heard and honored the word of the Lord. When I came upon Romans 14.9, I have to admit I was surprised. For suddenly I was looking at Jesus' death and resurrection from his point of view. Paul told us, for this very reason, Christ, that's the Messiah, your Savior, died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. He died so he could become Lord. Through his lordship, you receive him back as Savior. Oh, glory to God. Oh, Lord, help me. Words are not able to communicate what I see right now. I could tell you in tongues, but half of you wouldn't get it. We know that Jesus died and rose from the dead to redeem us from our sins. We know that. That's taught everywhere. To atone for our sins, to reconcile us to God. Providing, by God's grace, the only way by which we can receive, there's that word, receive, eternal life. But Romans 14.9 says Jesus died and returned to life so he might be our Lord. Think about that. Do your own Bible study on that. At first, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? As usual, we have to reconcile the scriptures because all scripture is correct. All scripture is inspired by God, isn't it? And it's easily reconciled when we understand that Jesus will be the Lord of all who are redeemed from their sins. He will be Lord for all who have had their sins atoned for by his death. He will be Lord for all who are reconciled to God. He will be Lord for all who receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, their Lord. Their Lord. They have to make him their Lord. Romans 14.9 is proof that Jesus must be our Lord if we are to receive salvation. The whole premise is upon that statement. The New American Standard Version of the Bible correctly defines the relationship of true believers as the Lord Jesus' bondservants. That term bondservant denotes a very, very special category of servant. It's described in Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6. But if a servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges and he shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl and then he'll be servant for life. This was the case, a bond servant 
is one who will sell himself into slavery, usually to pay off a debt. But it was found that his condition as a slave was better than prior to his, his present circumstances. A lot of people today have jobs. And they go to these jobs, and while you are an employee, you are a bond servant to your boss. You're serving him. It could be cleaning floors. It could be typing letters. It could be cutting grass. It could be whatever. But you are exchanging your eight hours a day, ten hours a day, whatever it is, your time, and he's giving you money so that you can live. A lot of people are in debt up to their necks, and they have to go to work. And they submit themselves to their employer so they can receive money to pay off their debts. All right? You are a form of bondservant. A lot of people, when they go into a career choice like that, and they realize, I'm a lot better off working here than I was before. And they want to stay employed by that person 20, 30 years, sometimes more. It's the same concept that we see here. A person back in the Old Testament days, and Jesus' days, you were employed by you. You were you know, a herder, you were a farmer, you were a fisherman, whatever you were, you were self-employed. You rose and fall based upon your ability to do the work. But if you got into debt, say your business was failing, a drought came through and your farm dried up, but you still had bills to pay, you would indenture yourself to someone else so they would pay off your bills. You'd receive money from them so you could pay off your bills. And if you realize, you know what? I'm better off being a servant for you than I was working for myself. Then you, after your debt's paid off, usually it's seven years. At the seventh year, it was a release. And you know you may only be three years to the Jubilee or whatever, and you're, you're released. And you say, I don't want to leave. I'll stay here. I'll keep working for you. Then they were required to take you to the judges so you could pronounce that in front of the judges so they knew that you weren't being forced to be a slave. And then you were given a gold earring as a symbol of your special status as a bondservant. You were now basically an honorary member of the family. You're part of the household now. Amen? A very special category of servant. And the conditions of bond servant was, one, it was voluntary. Two, it was confessed publicly. Three, it was for out of the love of his master. Four, you entered a status of slavery by giving up everything to the master. And five, you did it for life. Now, does that sound familiar? It should. Because basically, those are the steps that believers go through. Amen? Those are the same requirements for those who seek salvation by following Jesus and receiving him as their Lord. The New Testament writers declared themselves to be bondservants for Christ. Paul in Romans 1.1, James in James 1.1, Peter in 2 Peter 1.1, Jude in Jude 1.1, and John in Revelation 1.1. The Apostle John confirmed that all true believers are bondservants of the Lord Jesus. 
in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. That's in the New American Standard Version. That concept of bondservant is extremely important. Perhaps the term bond slave would have been a better descriptive. Slaves are owned by their master. Paul said true believers are owned by the Lord. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23, he says, He who was a free man when he was called is now Christ's slave, for you were bought with a price. Because slaves own nothing, Jesus' requirement for true believers comes into focus now as we consider our role as bond servants when he said in Luke 14, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Jesus' disciples are bond slaves. We are not our own. Despite what the celebrity preacher tells you, whatever we have, we're to hold in trust for our master, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. You're not blessed to get more. You're blessed to get for him. Amen. I want you to remember this, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. If we could imagine ourselves appearing before the most powerful person on earth, one who has life and death power over everyone, we likely would be eager to obey that person. We would realize that if we didn't obey, we could be punished even to the point of death. Well, Jesus is more powerful and has more authority than all of the most powerful people on earth. If we declare him to be our Lord, well, our obvious and appropriate response to him is to obey him and whatever he tells us to do. Heart, soul, strength of mind, all that we have. The evidence of having received Jesus as our Lord is our obedience to what he says to do. That's why the author of Hebrews said he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, Hebrews 5, 9. Jesus implied in John 14, 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Well, how does love for the Lord relate to obeying him, you ask? As we've seen from the scriptures, the Lord Jesus is God. The first and most important command is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. The evidence of our love is to obey his commands, 1 John 5, 3. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, John 14, 15. Notice how emphatic that statement is. We will obey his commands. Jesus expects to be obeyed. But even when he was on the earth, he found people following him, who did not obey. He asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You see, Jesus understood the term Lord, and so did those that he was talking to. Yet they were using it like most preachers and most churches do today. Jesus warned us, not everyone who calls to me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only he who obeys the will of my Father who is in heaven. Everything Jesus said and everything he did while on earth in human form was fulfilling exactly what God the Father told him to do and told him to say. Thus, everything Jesus commanded and taught is the will of God, and we need to obey that as well. Amen? Jesus spoke about a time at the final judgment. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, I think. Jesus made it plain that even though people called him Lord and do various miracles in his name, he'll cast them out if they are disobedient to him. He calls them evil. Paul taught the same thing when he warned the Thessalonians. He, talking about God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shed out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. How could obedience affect our salvation? Obedience is the evidence of a saving faith and of our love for God. Obedience is the evidence that Jesus really is our Lord and Master. Those who fail to obey actually oppose the Lord and are rebellion against him. I'm not calling on a works type of salvation. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is salvation involves believing and trusting in Jesus. But it requires that we believe in and trust what he says to do. Hopefully no one in Christian would expect salvation by believing Buddha. Likewise, it's essential that we believe in the Lordship of Jesus and trust in the Lord Jesus. It's not simply that you can claim to believe in Jesus as your Savior. That doesn't do it. It may not even be enough to get you into heaven. It surely won't be enough just to get you blessings here on earth. devil will see to that. Jesus can only be the Savior of those for whom he is Lord. You do not make Jesus your Savior. You're saved because Jesus is your Lord. You have to make Jesus Lord in order to receive him as your Savior. Those who do not follow Jesus as their Lord, hence, are not saved. I know this is a radical statement to some worldly churches and ministries who only focus on receiving Jesus as your Savior. Now let's get the blessings. These type of churches... Only give a simple prayer of salvation. Now you can say you're saved at the end of their service. No focus ever on what it means to become a disciple. To become a disciple of someone means you're going to learn from them. They will become your teacher, your instructor. And to borrow from my martial arts training days, what term of respect do you call your martial arts teacher or instructor? You call him master. Amen. The evidence that Jesus is our Lord is our obedience to the teachings and the commands of Jesus. Those teachings and those commands are the will of God the Father. Those who obey the teachings and the commands of Jesus accomplish the will of God. 
And all saving faith begins with the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we ask Jesus to become our Savior, we also need to confess him as our Lord, just like Romans 10 says. When Jesus is our Lord and we pledge obedience to him, that's when we become saved. For salvation is given to us, given to us, when we receive Jesus as our Lord. To confirm this transaction has really, actually, truly taken place, Jesus then sends to us the Holy Spirit to live in us. That's what he said was going to happen. He also sends to us the fruit of the Spirit and one or more gifts of the Spirit. God gives us plenty of evidence when we are truly followers of our Lord Jesus. Doors open for us that may have been shut. Blessings start to abound our way. In a lot of what I call dead churches, their only focus is on having people come forward, if that, to accept Jesus as their Savior. They never take the next, well, they actually never take the complete step of confessing him as their Lord and Master first. If you're a Christian who has not experienced the miraculous in your life, if you're attending a church that never has the miraculous manifest in your services, there's a good chance you're deceived and your church is deceived in this area. Amen. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Amen. I'm here to try and get you back into a right relationship with Jesus and the Father. Amen. There is a trustworthy saying that if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. If you're still trying to reserve portions of your life for yourself, not subjecting them to the direction of the Lord Jesus, it's time to repent of that and ask Jesus to forgive you for trying to be your own Lord in that area of your life and ask him to be your Lord in every area aspect of your life. Amen? Oh, glory. We're almost out of time. If you know you have never received Jesus as Lord, you should carefully consider what following Jesus as your Lord will mean. You need to decide in advance if you're willing to pay any price. Luke 14, verse 28 to 30. Jesus said, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to be a bond slave and a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Some people claim that you can be saved without being a disciple of the Lord. We covered enough scripture today to prove that the Bible does not support that. All true followers of the Lord Jesus, those with a saving faith, are also his disciples, for he is their master. You cannot qualify for salvation on your own. You cannot be perfectly obedient on your own. You could be the richest person in the world and still not have enough money to buy your salvation on your own. Your first step, if you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord, is to simply bow your knee and offer to submit to his authority and his guidance and his leadership for the remainder of your natural life. Tell the Lord that you'll obey him as best you can the entire rest of your life. But only pray that if you truly mean it.
For it's better to have never vowed than to vow and not pay, the Bible says. If you do that, if you will, from your heart, as Jesus, ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, we then have the assured promise that he will also become your Savior. Glory to God. Then we have the promise that the Lord Jesus will ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to follow the Lord Jesus as an obedient disciple. Miracles will begin to happen everywhere you go. You'll begin to see them. You'll begin to experience them. You'll begin to pray and see results. Why? Because now you made Jesus your Lord and your Savior. If you've been deceived in this area and you want to turn your life around and actually make Jesus your Lord today, or if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and you want to do that today, or perhaps you did ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior at some point in the past, but you stopped allowing him to be Lord of your life and tried to do things on your own, and today you want to get back into a right relationship with him, i got good news for you. Today is your day. Glory to God. Just pray this prayer with me out loud and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've sinned against you and against Jesus and against your word. I ask for complete forgiveness of all my sins because Jesus did it for me. Now, Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. You are my master. I am now your servant. Help me to... Stay in obedience to you every day of the rest of my life. Thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for becoming Lord of my life. Thank you for making me a child of the Most High God. For I believe God raised you from the dead according to the scriptures. Thank you for making your abode in me. That you and the Father are always with me. And I ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Glory to God. Remember, God loves you. Jesus loves you. We love you. We pray for you every day. And be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.